Well, we're going to talk about that gift today um, because it's actually not free. Somebody had to pay for that gift. And I said, it's striking because we think, oh, the gift of God is free. And um, to the recipient, it is free. But for the person who delivers, who brings that gift, th there's a cost. There's definitely a cost involved. Love costs, right? We, we've talked about this before. Love, love costs. Love is expensive. I heard a song, and I was almost going to play it, and I was almost going to start singing it, and I thought better of it. Um, strangely enough, by a band by the name of Nazareth. <laughs> it, it, love hurts, and it's a romantic song, right? And he, he's talking about the fact that even romantic love hurts, right? We've got these four different kinds of love, right? People think, well, romantic love, that doesn't hurt. Let me tell you something. If you believe that, then you're not married, and you've never even been on a date. I, I just, I, this is what I believe. If you think that romantic love doesn't cost, right? And if you try to go cheap on it, it's going to be even more expensive. I promise you, right? Love is not cheap. Love costs. Um, love of friends and equals. We, when you give up to your friends, right, where are we going to go? Well, I don't want to go to Mexican food. Well, if you're a good friend, you go to Mexican food. Doesn't matter what happens seven hours later, you're a good friend. You suffer for your friends, right? Um, storge, love of family, right? How many times, I've said this before, if I was, when I, my, my little girls were little, how many times had I wished, I, I just wished that I could be crucified if I was on the 19th version of Boom Boom, Caterpillar Hungry, or whatever book I'd read for the 18th millionth time. Love, love costs. I mean, I wanted to lay down and take a nap so badly, but I paid a price, right, to read to my daughters, right? And then love of humanity. That's the big one. That's the one that everyone knows. That's the one that's, that's going to hurt because humanity's kind of just kind of a mess, right? Um, so, so love hurts. There's no doubt about it. Those first three are a little bit less expensive and a little bit less costly than that fourth one. But in order for love to happen, in order for love to take place, somebody has to suffer. It, it might just be a little bit, but, but somebody, somebody has to suffer. Anyway, something to chew on um, if things get boring this morning. Hey, last week we ended on a, an idea of the church and the kingdom of God. And, and I, I kind of want to use that idea, hit that next slide there, and this is going to kind of springboard us into today's message. Um, the first thing that we learned is the church and the kingdom of God are not the same thing, right? They're not automatically synonymous, right? A kingdom event can happen in church, but sometimes we have church and, and no kingdom events happen, Right? We plan it, we, we, we organize it, we, we have a whole thing, but sometimes that's just the way it is. It's not anything that we did wrong, right? It just says that what we, when we do church, we, we, we prepare for it and, and we anticipate it, but we can't script the Holy Spirit doing something amazing. Again, we can do everything we can, but the Spirit does what the Spirit does, and we know this. So a couple things also, it's not our mission. The kingdom, spreading the kingdom, building the kingdom, that's not our mission, it's God's mission. We can't build it, right? Because it's a gift of God. It's, it's grace, right? We can't script it. But again, because of these things, it, it, it's not like it's a needle in a haystack kind of thing, but neither is it like a checklist kind of thing. It's not automatic for a kingdom event to happen. Again, we can gather here, and Dan and I, and we can plan everything out, and, and maybe the Spirit does something amazing in individuals' lives, but in the body of Christ, some, sometimes we, we, we understand this, and, and, it, and it's okay. Um, and the final, the final truth, it has to be built on the relational truth 
of Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is we have propositional truths, right? God is love. But then a relational truth is giving a, a child a shoebox. This is love. We can, we can say that this is love, but then when we hand them something, a glass of water, some food, we visit them, then love, uh, then we have a theological truth, not necessarily a statement, but a, a relational truth. Again, it's not automatic, but it's not impossible. But there is one really, really big stumbling block, huge stumbling block that we need to address today. We talked last week a little bit about, again, stating a truth and then demonstrating a, a truth, you know, a relational truth. Um, but this part right up there, hit that. Go, go back one slide. Um, Kevin, back up one. Um, it must be built on the relational truth of Jesus Christ crucified. We didn't talk about that idea. Jesus Christ crucified last week. We just talked about the idea that it had to be built on loving actions as much as statements of, of truth, right? Um, so today we're going to talk about this idea, this crucified part, because um, it's scandalous, right? It, Paul says that it's scandalous and foolish in ways that maybe we don't think about it in our, in our modern world. I, I kind of want to drill into that just a little bit um, today. Um, but this stumbling block has life and death consequences for us as the ecclesia of Jesus Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ. Here's the issue. Here's the stumbling block. You see it right there. Right? We, we, we look at that, and, and it bothers some people. It bothers. Um, I read this week's story of a, a lady who lived in South America, and she decided she wanted to move to India, and she had one reason. She said, all over South America, this is all you see. All you see is crucifixes, bloody and beaten Jesus hanging on a cross, and it's just, it's just so depressing, right? It's so depressing. We have so much hate in the world. Why do we got to have crucifixes all over the place? And so she decided to move to India because she likes Buddha. She likes the peaceful Buddha. <laughs> that, whatever, <laughs> that's her call. But do you, do you see what's going on here? Right? And she even says, I could have dealt with the Protestant churches because they, they took Jesus off the cross. But there's something to be said about that bloody, beaten image. Um, the fact of the matter is, lots of churches, I don't know if you're aware of this, they're kind of quietly removing their crosses because people are so offended by the cross. Right? Too much hate in the world. Why do, why do we got to... Bring up, let's talk about love. Let's talk about the love of Jesus. Well, I want to tell you this morning, you can't talk about the love of Jesus without talking about the cross. You just can't. It's, it's literally impossible. You have to start at the cross if you want to arrive at love. There's just no other way to arrive at love. Um, and yet this is all that Paul wanted to talk about, right? That's all that he wanted to talk about. Leanne read earlier this morning, this is from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read it again right here, verse 1. And it says, so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Right? And him crucified. It's like Paul. Man, depressing guy, right? I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. I want you to understand something. In Paul's mind, the, 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 Jesus Christ crucified is a reason why he comes in weakness and trembling and fear, right? So you're going to see that connection just a little bit. I'm going to keep reading verse 4 and 5. My message and my preaching were not with wise or persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power 
so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So what I want to do today, I want to take a closer look at that idea, that demonstration of the Spirit's power, because it's not like, it's not what many people think, right? Paul lays it out in the first chapter, one chapter before this chapter, right? Chapter 1. Starts at verse 22, he says this, Jews demand signs. And today, a lot of people demand signs, right? That, I think that's the popularity of a prosperity gospel. A lot of the uh, charismatic churches, they, they want to see something. They want to come to church and they want to see something. They want to see something amazing happen. And then we can go home happy because we saw something amazing happen. But that's not the way Paul preached. It's not the way Paul preached. Jews expected those signs and wonders, and we still expect those signs and wonders. But Paul said, you know what? That's not going to get us anywhere. Talking against him. Neither do the Greeks, neither did he look for wisdom like the Greeks look to wisdom. So Paul doesn't use fancy rhetoric that kind of cons you into the kingdom, like, like tricks you into the kingdom. I think a lot of people talk about God in ways that aren't God. Like God will, God will heal all your, your illnesses. He'll, he'll fix all your finances. All you got to do is come to church and believe in him. And he'll do all this and he'll do all that. And that's not true. And we need to stop lying to people. We need to stop telling the, We need to start telling the truth about Jesus Christ. That his love comes through a cross. Boy, people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. I'm going to keep reading in verse 24. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, I'm going to throw in a word here because Paul's sentence structure is just so horrible. Sorry, Paul. The crucified Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. I mean, if we take the whole verse together, crucified Christ is the power and wisdom of God. So there seems to be kind of a connecting of the dots going on here, right? Kind of Pauline theology, Pauline um, logic. Let me show you, just kind of going to boil it all down, right? The, The irony of God's wisdom. The weakness displayed on the cross is actually how God wields his power through suffering. Not weird, right? We all expect him to come in or whoo, right? Superman and, but no, he displays his power through weakness. I'm going to unfold that just a little bit. The weakness displayed on the cross is actually the demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. Right? The cross is the most important and potent statement that God has ever made. It wasn't the resurrection. We're going to get to that. We're getting, hold on. We're going to get to that. But the most powerful statement he ever made was Jesus Christ on the cross. If he could have summed up everything, he could have just said, he didn't have to say a word. He just could have pointed The theologian Hans Kuhn, about 40 years ago, wrote a book on being a Christian. If you had to become a minister, you had to read his book. But he stated this foundational truth of Christianity, not the foundational truth, because that is, in fact, the resurrection, right? Paul said, if there wasn't the resurrection, what are we doing here on a Sunday morning? We should be in bed, (laughs) like like all you all. No, all right, all right. Not the foundational truth, but a foundational truth when compared to other faiths, right? Listen to this. Paul succeeded more clearly than anyone else in expressing what is ultimately the ultimately distinguishing feature of Christianity as opposed to the ancient world religions and modern humanisms. It is quite literally, according to Paul, this Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. It is indeed not risen, 
or exalted or living or divine, but as crucified, that this Jesus Christ is distinguished unmistakably from the many risen, exalted, living gods and deified founders of religion from the Caesars, the geniuses, and, and heroes of world history. Nothing except Jesus Christ crucified. That's all Paul wanted to talk about. That's all he wanted the Corinthians to hear from him is Jesus Christ crucified. Yeah, he gave them all sorts of teachings, moral teachings, teachings about the church, or even wrote a whole chapter on the resurrection, right? Go home, that's your homework, chapter 15. Nonetheless, he wanted to preach nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the heart of his teaching. This is what he wanted to convey to everybody, Christ crucified. And it's been a scandalous stumbling block from day one, right? From day one, well, actually three verses after day one, right? Remember our scriptural starting point in, in Matthew chapter 16, right? Jesus is asking disciples, do you understand who I am? He's, he's, he's quickly moving toward the cross and he's like, do they understand? Because when I'm gone, if they didn't understand, this is all gonna be for naught, right? And so he's asking them, who do you say I am? And again, they went through some wild guesses, but Peter, Peter nails it. He says, you are the, the, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, and I tell you that you are Peter, Petros, and on this rock, I will build my ecclesia, my, my, my church. And again, we talked about that idea that Peter's that first person on earth to make that leap of faith, right? And so we can kind of view him as the first member of the church. And exactly three verses later, right, the church revolts. The church revolts, right? And it will be, it will be the slow death of any church that doesn't grasp and embrace what Peter didn't want and many of us don't want says this, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. He must suffer. Many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, right? In order for triumph over Satan and to redeem humanity and the earth, Jesus had to suffer, right? He had to be rejected, the suffering of the Messiah was God's plan from the very beginning. And nothing could get in the way of that. And I want you to hear me carefully. It's the only way because essentially it's God's way. Right? He's not saying I don't want to do these other options. Like God doesn't have, this is God, this is the way God works. This is the only way. It's God's way. Remember Jesus saying, I am the way. At the cross of Jesus, who the Bible says is the visible image of the invisible God and in whom the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. At the cross of Jesus, listen carefully, God is most God. And at the cross is the clearest message that he could possibly give us of his unfailing, uncompromising, never-ending love of humanity. Now, I want you to watch how Peter read the church, hopefully not you all as individuals, but sometimes as a body, sometimes. Again, not individually, but sometimes as a body, as, as the body, we, we, go, we go off the rails just a little bit. Now, I want you to watch, watch how Peter, and, and, and think the church, how, how he responds to the way, right? God's plan, God's way of wielding power. Not the way the rulers of this world willed power, right? right? The disciples and Jesus had to have a little conversation about this, right? The rulers of this world lorded over their subjects, but not so with you. 
Not so with you. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 16, verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall not happen to you. So we just kind of want to stop here and <laughs> look at what's going on here, right? It's easy just to kind of run past this. And um, Peter's quickly connecting some relational dots, right? It's like, um, okay, so if I'm going to be one of your key guys, uh, I'm going to be one of your disciples, and you're saying that you have to suffer? I got to suffer too, right? Jesus, you've been talking about love. You've been talking about love. Love your God, all your heart, mind, soul, and, and love your neighbor. Like, what are, what, what are, we, what, what are you talking about this stuff? This isn't going to sell. This is too depressing. Stop talking about suffering, Jesus. Come on, get on board with this whole thing. Love, 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 love. Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. This happened to me once. Went to see The Passion, the movie. You guys all remember that movie. Just a, a painful movie to watch, to watch the Christ suffer, right? It was just like, oh. And at the end, my pastor and I were talking, and I made the comment that, wow, there was an awful lot of suffering in that movie. Did we have to see all the blood and all that? And he turned on me, and, and I think he said, get behind me, Satan. I, yeah. I think that was on his mind, but he didn't. He was really nice about it. But he, he almost grabbed me by the lapel and says, if you don't understand the suffering of Jesus, then you don't understand the depths of your sin, Jerry. And I swear, he almost fired me that morning. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I've thought about that for so long now. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have the thin mind, the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You're a stumbling block to me. See, in Peter's attempt to stand between Jesus and the cross, he's preventing Christ from being Christ. He's preventing God from being God. And that's the very mindset that prevents the church from being the church, right? This mindset could have been a stumbling block to Jesus, but it's definitely a stumbling block for the church and for a lot of individuals. Why is it such a stumbling block? Why is crucified? Why is it... Because nobody likes to suffer, right? Raise your hand if you like to suffer. Nope, not a single hand. Nope, nothing, nobody's at home raising their hand. Nobody likes, Peter didn't want to have to suffer. He saw that immediately. Jesus, if you have to suffer, well, I guess then I'm going to have, well, nah. And you'll notice when you read your gospels, this is when a whole bunch of people went and they quietly snuck away. <laughs> I, I, we, we don't want to suffer, we want to love. But Christ is saying you're never going to know love unless... It comes through suffering. And unless you've been really hurt in your life, nobody likes to suffer. But unless we embrace the necessity of the cross and the necessity of suffering for the sake of others, right? I want you to see those two terms together, right? Unless we embrace the necessity of the cross, the necessity of suffering for others, both as an event and as a reality of discipleship, right, we cease to be a church. We can't be ashamed of the event, number one. We can't hide it because that is the crux, the center of the message that Paul was trying to pe teach people, right? Love comes through suffering. Love costs. The fact that it's Peter, the first believer in the church, shows that from the very beginning, the church doesn't like to suffer, right? We don't... A lot of times we don't like that kind of Lord. Um, we don't want to be forced into accepting the love of suffering, the law of suffering. 
but it's not enough to worship Jesus for what he did for us. It's not enough to worship what Jesus did for us. Our worship must extend to imitating what he did for us. Paul makes this, I mean, if we miss it, he makes it super, 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 super duper clear in his letter to the Philippian church. It says this, chapter 2, verse 5, in your relations with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. That phrase, that kenosis, the self-emptying, self-giving of God emptied himself. Everything that he had, he, he gave. He didn't hoard it. He didn't hold it back. Didn't save it for retirement. Nothing like that. Just, bah, here, here's everything. Everything. We think of Romans 12, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true act of worship. This is just the start of it in here. But when we go out there and we sacrifice we sacrificially and extravagantly love our neighbors. That's, that's when the rubber hits the road. Imitating what Christ did on the cross, suffering for the sake of others. In verse 8, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And that's a strange phrase, even death on a cross, right? Like, did he obey death? Right? That, that's really, again, Paul's wording kind of gets weird up uh, obedient to death meaning simply that jesus had the exact same mindset as the father absolute obedience to love did you know in revelation chapter 13 verse 8 we find out that jesus was the lamb from the creation of the earth the lamb who was slain from the creation of the earth what a weird phrase the lamb was slain from the creation of the earth what he's saying right there that is even from the, I mean, the, 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 Jesus on the cross and, and God emptying himself on the cross, that, was, that wasn't the beginning, right? This passage in Revelation says that God was self-emptying and self-giving from the very beginning. One writer says that in the creation of the world, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they had just an incredible thing going on, right? They just had an incredible thing going on, and yet they emptied themselves out to make room for us. It was always, from the very beginning, self-emptying and self-giving for us. This is how they will know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. On Wednesday this past week, we honored this mindset on Veterans Day. And I believe it's this mindset that drives most folks to enlist in the military, whether it's for this country or other countries. Just this unfiltered love of God and family and neighbors not met. John 15, 13 says, A greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's the incredibly ironic kind of love and ethic that actually gives life. When we lay down our lives, we give life. It's the weirdest thing. This is, this is the preaching of Christ crucified. This is what Paul was saying. Jesus suffered for you. And he's asking you to suffer for somebody else. Because love costs. Right? Love costs. When we have to decide how we want to live, when we as a church 
are getting maybe confused, we're not sure, we're in our meetings, we're not sure which direction to go, I just get a real strong impression that maybe we ought to have our meetings at the foot of the cross because at the foot of the cross, things get really, really clear. Right? There's incredible clarity at the foot of the cross, what matters and what doesn't matter. I love the words of that song, fear doesn't have a chance when you're standing in the love of Christ. Listen, we all don't want to suffer. Nobody wants to suffer. That's scary stuff. But when we're standing in the love of God, the love of Jesus, fear melts away. And we're willing to give and we're willing to suffer for somebody else. The greatest gift costs. And God is asking the church to foot the bill for some neighbors that y'all probably never meet so that they can find Christ. But it's going to cost. You're going to have to, maybe just money, but maybe some rolled up sleeves, some, some sweat and equity and going to cost. Nobody likes to suffer, but this is the way God showed us his love. And this is the way he calls us to show his love to the world. Love costs. This, this idea is called cruciform love, right? The love in the form of a cross for a world horribly bent out of shape, right? They need cruciform love, love in the shape of a cross. Would you bow your heads? Father, thank you for Christ crucified. That's how we see how much you love us. That's the way our neighbors are going to know that we love them and God loves them. When people give me a gift, God, I, I don't think much about it, but if I find out they suffered for it, that makes all the difference in the world. Father, help us, Richland Church of the Nazarene, to suffer for our neighbors. What would that look like to preach Christ crucified in Richland, Washington? Father, give us courage. Drive out our fear. We really have nothing to lose, and we have the whole world to gain. Father, thank you. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much.